And welcome into another episode of American Ag Today, produced by the American Ag Network. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Well, beef demand seems to be holding steady despite a very high plateau in current beef prices. That according to Tyler Cousins, agricultural economist at the Livestock Marketing Information Center. The most recent beef retail prices tracked by the federal government come from June 2022. And in June, retail beef prices were $7.66 per pound. This is up 20 cents per pound from last year. The record price that we have seen for beef was actually occurred in October of 2021, and that was $7.90. Cousins says prices are expected to remain high based on what we are seeing as far as wholesale prices that have occurred over the last month. And in the face of inflation and slowing of herd rebuilding efforts, beef prices remain elevated and domestic beef demand holds strong. This inflationary environment that we're living in, coupled with the slowing in herd rebuilding efforts, keep the prices elevated. But domestic beef demand is still holding strong in the face of those challenges. It's just what's the tipping point here? I think we would have expected that to occur a little bit sooner, but consumers still seem to be buying their beef. I think they like consuming that at home and they learned how to cook it. Foreign demand or exports of beef are a key piece of the demand picture as strong beef exports are supportive for domestic prices. Through those first five months of this year, beef exports have totaled nearly 1.5 billion pounds. Now that's a record pace for the first five months in a year. It is also a 6% increase from the same period last year. What this means is about 10% of U.S. beef production is destined for these export markets. So I think that's an important key is just the pace that we're shipping this and the amount. Overall, Cousin says the beef demand picture is looking positive, but the inflation environment that the U.S. and global economies are facing could prove to be a headwind in the near future. At the same time, he added availability indicates beef demand is holding strong for U.S. beef, which is a positive sign for the industry. South Korea is the largest value market for U.S. beef exports, and it's on pace to possibly reach $3 billion this year. In an effort to combat rising prices, South Korea created a duty-free quota for American beef. Aaron Borer, vice president for economic analysis at the U.S. Meat Export Federation, says the quota is roughly 25,000 metric tons of chilled beef and 75,000 metric tons of frozen beef cuts available for all suppliers. Korea's chilled beef imports in the first half of the year totaled about 54,000 tons. U.S. accounted for 66% of those chilled beef imports. So we are the big supplier of chilled volume. And Australia makes up basically the balance. The U.S. is also the biggest supplier of frozen beef. We had just over 50% share of Korea's frozen imports in the first half of the year. Despite losing a tariff advantage, Borer feels the quota will benefit the U.S. industry. She noted under the Chorus Free Trade Agreement, the United States was ahead of competing markets such as Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and Mexico. But when we think about everyone going to zero, it's still a win for the U.S., Yes, we lose our relative advantage, but you think about that cost savings on U.S. beef is a benefit for the Korean importer and then passed on to the Korean consumer. Borer added the 10.7% tariff under Chorus broke out to roughly 70 cents per pound on chilled beef from the United States and about 43 cents per pound on frozen American beef. Well, Japanese beetles are a pest, not just by definition, but the damage they can cause to plants. P.J. Leash, known as the Wisconsin Bug Guy on Twitter, is an entomologist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and Insect Diagnostic Lab. He explains how you can identify the beetles. So the, a type of small scarab beetle, they have a very distinctive coloration with some metallic shiny green on their body, although their wing covers, those are a coppery brownish bronze color 
and then on the side of the body are a series of little tufts of whitish hairs uh, running down the side of the abdomen. He says managing the beetles depends on the scale you are managing. It's different for home gardeners versus cropland. On the perspective of a home gardener or a yard where we have some trees or shrubs that are effective, one option is to actually go out and hand pick the beetles. You could squish them by hand. You could uh, carry a little container of soapy water and knock the beetles into that. That approach can be very labor intensive. We do also have some other approaches in home yards. If you go to the hardware store, you may see these, the Japanese beetle traps. And it turns out from a number of research projects that if you have a trap near your plants, you end up in general seeing more damage. Bottom line, he says, is to scout often and be prepared to take action if needed. Well, high moisture corn offers many benefits to producers, but there are some things to keep in mind before using it on your farm. Caitlin Mellinger is a forage specialist with Provida Supplements. She talks about the benefits of high moisture corn and says it's a great option for dairy and beef producers. You don't have the drying costs that come with dry corn because typically when it comes out of the field, it still needs to be dried down so that it doesn't spoil. It's very highly palatable so the cows like it. It also provides harvest flexibility, and that's because producers are able to use that time between corn silage and corn grain harvest, and they're able to get some of their corn fields in a silo and able to be used later in the seasons. It also allows them to harvest earlier, and that allows them to avoid any adverse weather conditions that can come with winter. We also have a reduction in harvest losses because we're able to increase our yields due to less eardrop in the field. And if we can harvest high moisture corn and ensile it properly, it can be just a really valuable feed source for dairy and beef farms. Mellinger talks about things to watch out for with high moisture corn. One of the biggest properties of it is that it has low moisture and has low fermentable sugars. So this means that we have less substrate for lactic acid bacteria to be able to produce acids. And this, in the end, can restrict the extent of fermentation. And we don't want that to happen because we want to make sure we're ensiling a good quality feed. So high moisture corn, because of that, is really prone to reheating and spoilage. It has a high starch environment. And then with that low acid production, specifically acetic acid, this really creates a perfect environment for aerobic deterioration. Additionally, high moisture corn is usually harvested in this cooler time of year, and that has an impact on those population of naturally occurring lactic acid bacteria. And for this reason, we really encourage producers to treat their high moisture corn with an inoculant containing heterofermentative lactic acid bacteria who will produce acetic acid. Products like that are Bond Silage Speed C and Bond Silage Corn Plus. She talks about best management practices for high moisture corn. We recommend putting it up at a higher moisture level with a target range of about 30 to 38 percent. And this is so we're ensuring that a proper fermentation takes place, that there's enough moisture there for the lactic acid bacteria to produce their acids. And we get that really good fermentation and good aerobic stability. So reaching this proper moisture is really not only important for fermentation, but it's also important for the packing aspect of it. So if it starts to get too dry, it just makes it harder to pack like any other silage. And that lack of moisture will also result in a poor fermentation. So producers should make sure that they're grinding or rolling the high moisture corn before packing it. If it's a lower moisture content, we ground it up more finely so that it it is easier to pack and we get that oxygen out of the mass. We also want to make sure during feed out that we're ensuring that the piles and bunks are sized to remove at least six inches a day and then also following proper face management techniques during feed out to reduce spoilage and reheating. 
Again, that's Caitlin Mellinger with Provita Supplements. This has been American Ag Today, produced by the American Ag Network. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, wishing you a great rest of your day.